0: i've got some news to share guys i did some number crunching this week and i'm not great at math but the the rate we're going we will finish matthew by the time jesus returns okay so i do struggle sometimes to carry ones and um i could be wrong but in all seriousness it's not looking good there's no way we're going to finish before jesus gets back um but i say that because sometimes things take a lot longer to do than you think they will. Anyone ever made a recipe that says 25 minutes and then two hours later your whole family is still sitting at the table? Like, where the heck is the chicken, Dad? What's going on? Or ordered something online and they keep pushing back your delivery date even though you have Prime? Like, what's up with that? Un- unacceptable. Uh, this summer we went on a road trip with the Silerans and um, we went through upstate New York and into Vermont to see one of our favorite bands, yes, Taylor Swift. We did go to see Taylor Swift, um, just kidding. But uh, I remember it like, we even met up, the four of us, the parents, we met up and we made a plan. Like okay, we pulled out Google Maps and we're like okay, if we leave at this time, we don't want to leave too early because too the kids will be grumpy, we don't want to get there too late. So if we leave here, we should get here by dinner time. And Google Maps said six hours and 33 minutes. So 12 of us going. On a 6-hour and 33-minute journey, how long do you think it actually took us? Eight 10? Eight? Yeah. Higher? 12. 12. It took us 12 hours to get there. Uh, no. So, it, it, it took almost double the time it would. It, would, it said it was going to take, yes, there were a lot of us. There were 12 of us. Yes, kids have small bladders. Yes, sometimes Starbucks baristas Starbucks barista struggle while their boss is on break. They sweat a lot. Yes, sometimes kids puke. Yeah, and sometimes kayaks are way less aerodynamic than you planned for. But we made it. It just took a lot longer than we had anticipated. And I'm sure you have your own versions of this type of story. You thought something was going to go this way, and it ended up going this way. Instead of a straight line from A to B, it looks more like this. Wait, like this. It's not a straight shot across. It's way more all over the place. Have you ever wanted to see change in your life? You make a plan. You're gonna to go to bed on time. You're gonna get up early. You're gonna stop drinking wine during the week. You're gonna quit going through that Starbucks drive-through. You're gonna read more fiction. You're gonna stop watching Netflix. You're gonna get in shape. Whatever the thing may be, I've noticed that for me at least, that the line from A to B is a lot less linear than I'd hoped for. I still don't have a six pack. I'm still quick to judge. I still go through the Starbucks drive through. John Newton uh, puts it this way The life of faith seems so simple and easy in theory. I can point it out to other people in a few words, but in practice, it is very difficult. And my advances are so slow that I hardly dare say I get forward at all. Things take longer, things are messier, things are harder, things are different than we thought. But c'est la vie, such is life. I think it's time we let go of the idea that life with God is going to be continually up and to the right. It's just going to get better and better and better day by day, that everything will just get easier and better. We have to remember we follow a Jesus who plainly says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We've also agreed to follow a man who tells us that we are to take up our cross daily and that to lose our lives, we have to, to find our lives, we actually have to lose them life with God and the transformation therein will not be a painless process, but it will be a glorious journey, a deepening. And the best news of all that I can give you this morning is that we don't do this alone. Jesus is here for all of it. And this is the key. Jesus is with you. Remember Karl Barth's definition of grace, Emmanuel, God with us. So we're on this journey that we've been talking about quite a bit um, from a life oriented around ourselves to a life oriented around God. And so we think it often is going to be the same idea of moving from coming from Alliston to Vermont. But it's a lot less like this and more like this. But what if there's a gift for us along the way? There's a skill for us to cultivate that's gonna keep us going, hopeful, hearts full, honest, and hungry for the transforming love of God to invade every square inch of our everything. That journey took twice as long, but it was also super fun. A lot of good memories that happened along that that journey. So today in our story, it's actually a bit different. We've been looking at a bunch of miracles. Today, the story takes a little departure. And um, at first glance, it might seem out of place, But I actually sat with this text this week, and I found myself really grateful for this being where it is. And so I'm going to try to emulate kind of the tone of the text this morning where we're talking about all these miracles, and all of a sudden Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. And I want to remind us, hey, we're on this journey of discipleship, guys. In the midst of this, we're getting to know Jesus. But how do we, as we're doing this, discover more of who Jesus is, our gracious Savior, King, and who we are as his disciples, men and women who are in need of saving and leading. Sound good? Okay, so we're going to read the text together. I'm going to get you guys to stand up like we've been doing. And then we'll talk through a couple things together today. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, Hey, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, First let me go bury my Father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And he got into the boat. His disciples followed him and suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came to him and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. And he said to them, why are you afraid? You have little faith. And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. This is God's word. Let's let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you are who you say you are. Thank you that you are constant and unchanging. Thank you that we get to come together, together together, today and we get to sing about you and think about you and talk about you together. I asked this morning, God, that you would remind us that you are with us and that you would remind us Lord, that whatever we're holding in our hearts, whatever we're experiencing in our lives, whatever we're battling through in our minds, that you are close. You're not far away. And so Lord, you know, each person's story in this room, you know exactly where we are you know where our heart is, you know where our mind is, you know where our body is. And I just ask that this morning we would see Jesus as he really is, that we would see ourselves as we really are, and that there'd be a moment of encounter, of transformation, of your love coming close, Lord, to us today. And so, Lord, we need your help to see clearly. So many things blind us and distract us and um, preoccupy us. And so we want to Ask for your help, even now, Holy Spirit, to come and settle hearts and minds, to come rest on each person in this room, and that whatever um, I've prepared that is beneficial, Lord, that it would be multiplied, and that people would hear and receive the good news of Jesus today. So, again, Lord, we just say thank you. We're grateful for what we got to celebrate as we took communion together today, that you have died in our place. You've cleansed us of all of our sin and unrighteousness. You've brought us back with you, Lord, from the dead, and um, you're with us now. And so, may we rejoice in that. Amen. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Are amen. Amen. Right, you guys can have a seat. Jesus is king. Jesus is in charge. He is bringing God's kingdom to bear in the world. He is the space where heaven and earth overlap. He is the God-man, fully God and fully man. He is the embodied space where what God wants done is done. He has come to do the will of the Father. This is the business that Jesus is in. And in the process of this, he wants to make us his apprentices, his disciples. Other human beings, just like he was, that will do the will of his Father, both willingly and joyfully. What we've been learning is that he comforts us and consoles us on the way. But today we read a couple stories that also bring this to the fore. He challenges us. He calls us to something deeper. He calls us to something more beautiful. He calls us to something more rewarding. He calls us to reality. He calls us to our destiny, our purpose, that we were designed to live life with God and not apart from God, with him as our king and we as his servants. He is in charge. He knows what to do. So he instructs his disciples in the story. It's time to move on. It's time to go to the other side of the lake, guys. But on their way, we read that the story um, of him coming across two would-be disciples. And so let's take them one at a time. Let's look at the two would-be disciples. First up is this poor guy, the hasty scholar. So let me read this uh, again. When Jesus saw the big crowd around him, he gave orders to move on to the other side of the lake. And a Bible teacher came up to him and said, Hey, teacher. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Anyone ever seen Brian Regan, the stand up comedian? A few of us. He has this bit, I won't do it, but he has this bit about a, a me monster. Um, And it's about him having to sit next to this person at a party and everything Brian says, the guy one-ups him. So he's like, I just had my two wisdom teeth out. He's like, I got four. And it's just this constant thing. And he's like, how all of us have this me monster inside of us that we want to kind of take over the conversation and be the center of the universe. Uh, Someone who spins the whole story their way, one-ups you. And he says, like the, the punchline of the joke is basically, he's like, beware of the me monster. And so the subject of this sentence is actually a me monster. It's this Bible teacher Not only just in grammatical terms, it's as if he's saying, hey, Jesus, it's your lucky day. This guy has decided to follow you. I'm going to give you a shot as my rabbi. It's worth noting here that the Bible teacher refers to Jesus as teacher. He doesn't say Lord. He doesn't approach Jesus as Lord, but as a teacher. They're in the same profession. So it's almost like he's like ribbing him in in the side like, hey, we know what this is like, right? Jesus, you and me. You can imagine him like looking around at the other fishermen, the tax collectors, the ragtag group that Jesus has called close and thinking, man, I'm doing you a favor, Jesus. You should be as lucky. You should be so lucky as to have me on your side. Hey, big guy. Finally, someone else with a mind. Am I right? He's hasty. He's eager. He's proud. He's misreading the situation. Jesus' response could sound harsh, but what he's doing is he's providing a kindness. He's being clear. He's shooting him straight. Hey, man, this sounds great to you, but this is the cost of discipleship. There's a costly grace involved. At the time, I think disciples and rabbis or rabbis and their disciples, like the the idea of following a rabbi inherent to that idea was a place to live and a place to stay. And Jesus is saying, hey, man, when you follow me, it's not like that. It's actually you're stepping into a life of vulnerability and at many times insecurity but the the truth is i'll be with you in it so he seems to be looking for disciples of course that's jesus's mission it's like it's not enough just to go and heal people he actually wants to go make disciples who are actually going to help heal the world by the way that they obey and follow jesus so he seems to be looking for disciples who have thought about the hardships and costs involved involved in following him and of course we can't anticipate everything But it's worth just noting here that Jesus seems to be reminding us, like, hey, man, this is a costly endeavor. Following me means more than you think it does at certain times. Jesus is turning away an eager disciple. Uh, It seems like Jesus is not desperate for humanly impressive disciples as well. This is good news for people like me. Jesus wants disciples, but he doesn't want them at any cost. All right, poor hasty scholar. Second guy, the half-hearted son. Then one of his disciples said to him, Lord, um, please give me permission to go home to bury my dead father. But Jesus said to him, Hey, you follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Sheesh. Jesus, a bit, a bit harsh, buddy. Kenneth Bailey, who lived in the, in the middle East and has all kinds of, um, wisdom and how like these communities would have worked says this, or let me paraphrase RT Kendall's paraphrase of him. But K. E. Ba- So Kenneth Bailey, drawing on the insight of Arabic commentators and on his own experience of cultures and idioms in the Middle East, insists that such a scenario results from a Western reading of the text and is culturally impossible. So our offense is, is is a Western offense. And this is why. If the father had just died, the son could hardly be out at the roadside with Jesus. His place was to be keeping vigil and preparing for the funeral. Rather, to bury one's father is standard idiom for fulfilling one's filial responsibilities for the remainder of the father's lifetime, with no prospect of his imminent death. This would then be a request for indefinite postponement of discipleship. That's what Jesus is addressing. Likely to be for years rather than days. In that case, Jesus' reply would be less immediately shocking. The man's proposed discipleship was apparently not very serious. Sounds half-hearted is what the point is here. Uh, Dale Bruner says this Matthew slants this request however by inserting the word first first colors the spirit of the request he does not seek to go home afterward or for a moment or at the end of the week but first as if the thrilling firstness of his discipleship to Jesus has slightly worn off and his more familiar past begins to reassert itself now it's parents If that's the case, then is his first consideration really his Lord is the question. And so what we see here is Jesus is kind of reminding him like, hey, man, if you're going to follow me, like I have to be first in your life. I have to be king. So Jesus is putting down the disciples' secret rebellion, not his parents. He's reminding this guy, I am Lord. I have to be the king. So the thing I want us to draw our attention to and I want us to kind of focus the rest of our time on is this specific interaction. So the thing that strikes me most in this interaction is that it would appear that the man is already a disciple, yet Jesus needs to come to him to renew, to renegotiate, and to remember his discipleship to Jesus. Like this is part of the process of getting from A to B is this constant renegotiating like, oh wait, I am not king and Jesus is king. And in this guy's situation, this is the, the death of his father that brought that to the bear or to the fore. So it's as if Jesus is recalling this man to all of life discipleship to him. He grabs him by the collar and speaks to his heart, saying, hey man, remember, you follow me. Come on, man, remember who you are. Remember, you are a disciple. I am your rabbi. Does that make sense? We need this reminder. And so let's talk about this. Um, Jesus is reaffirming the story that he has invited us to follow him. He leads and we follow. He has invited us to transfer all of our lives' trust structures to him and him alone. We talked about this a few weeks ago, growing in faith and trust in God. This process is not a quick and easy one. This could sound like a six-hour journey, but could in reality take more than 12 hours. Talk to Timothy and Elizabeth and I after this. This is an ongoing process of what we call repentance. Now repentance is one of those words that may immediately rub you the wrong way. Perhaps images of billboards on the highway threatening eternal damnation and fire and brimstone with some really bad fonts. Um, Perhaps you went to see heaven's gates, hell's flames as a teenager. Perhaps angry street preachers yelling through a megaphone in Yonge and Dundas Square in Toronto come to mind. But here's the truth. The message of repentance is a really good news message. It is good news of great joy for all people, even disciples of Jesus. So it is a message for those who are searching for God. It is a message for those who have rejected God. It is a message that we as disciples of Jesus will need to engage and embrace continually in order for the change and transformation we all want to really take place in our lives. Does that make sense? We have to get this into our bodies and into our minds and into our normal interactions with God. Repentance is the inescapable beginning that we keep coming back to. Dallas Willard says this about repentance Repentance is not beating your head on the floor or feeling bad about your sins. It is to rethink your thinking so as to change the way you've been thinking and acting. We repent in light of the gospel of Jesus. The very first of Martin Luther's 95 theses was when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent. He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. They begin, continue, and end their life of faith here on earth with repentance. The Greek word is metanoeo, metanoeo, which means to change one's mind, to feel remorse, to repent, or to be converted. Essentially, it's this. Rethink your thinking and turn to God. Think about your thinking. Think about the way you're living and turn to God. This is how we learn. And both of these would-be disciples have an encounter with Jesus that presents itself as a significant moment, a Kairos moment. A Kairos moment is where there is some event, an opportunity, a moment in time when perhaps everything changes because it, because it just happens to be the right time. I think I talked about this the first week of COVID, actually. So really briefly, Kairos moments, are, uh, kairos moments can be positive or negative. They are never neutral and they can be recognized by the impact they leave on you, and they always signal opportunities to grow. This is the message of Jesus. This is, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe in the good news. Hey, there's some significant event that's happened, you have a chance to rethink your thinking and turn to me. Uh, Mike Breen puts it this way. This verse, which could be called a summary statement of the teaching of Jesus, says a lot more about learning than first meets the eye. In essence, Jesus is saying a great opportunity is available. God's kingdom is within reach for all of us. The kingdom of God is near means that if you reach in the right direction, your hand will disappear through the curtain of this world and reappear in the reality of the next world. There is a portal in time that we can't see and the inbreaking of God's presence is about to take place. We can begin to learn to see these very moments in our everyday lives as opportunities to grow deeper in Jesus. Uh, Mike Breen developed this shape to help process these moments. This is called the learning circle. And so remember we drew that map earlier of getting from A to B? In the process of getting from A to B are a bunch of these significant moments, or is an opportunity for us to repent and come into a place of belief again. That's the whole journey of our discipleship, right? I'm not going to put my trust in myself anymore. I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm not going to define what's good and evil anymore myself. I'm going to let God do that. And so that process of zigzagging and going, you know, all the way through upstate New York to Vermont is full of these learning moments, these learning circle moments. And so we need to kind of get our heads around this and think about this as part of our lives with God, because if we're going to follow Jesus, then change is not an option. It's it's part of the thing that we need to have happen. It is a vital part of the life. Of. Once we change on the inside, the new attitude will affect our outward actions. Kairos is an event word, something that has a beginning and ending. So these moments, the conversations end with Jesus, but the process of change and the process of faith developing is an ongoing, um, it's, a, it's a process. It, it's not like it just happened. You don't You don't completely become a nutrient, like you don't, um, your mind needs to be continually transformed. Your faith needs to continually be put back into a place of trust in Jesus. We need to grow in our belief in him. So this is the process of discipleship, this ongoing requirement for change and for repentance and belief. The learning circle is a process, a way of living that doesn't have a specific beginning and ending. One does not become a disciple of Jesus and stand still. Discipleship is a lifestyle of learning, and the learning must begin with a change of heart. Is this tracking with you guys? This this is important. Our journey of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did is a process intersected by moments that, if we're willing, bring us into this learning circle. If we're paying attention, we're realizing that God actually is involved in the everyday ordinary events of our lives difficult conversations, um, breakdowns in relationship, uh, moves that need to happen, sicknesses. All these things are moments for us to come into, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to do? Where am I like relying on myself? Where am I living upside down? And where are you inviting me into trust you more fully? The journey from A to B looks a lot more like this than we think. The Christian life is one of repenting your way forward. So Yes, we're going to have these moments of repentance and belief, but we're going to, have to, we're going to have to realize that these are going to happen all the time, daily, daily for us, if we're willing. Okay, we, let's move on in the story. <clears throat> so Jesus is calling us to follow him. He's saying, hey, listen, there's going to be this ongoing process of repentance, and, and, and you need to remember that I'm with you because this next story illustrates this, because storms are going to come in your life. Jesus then got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. And look, a huge quake hit the lake so that the boat was swamped with waves. But Jesus was dead asleep. So crazy. So the disciples came up to him, woke him up and said, Lord, save us. We're dying. And he said to them, man, what? Why are you guys so afraid? Why are you so cowardly, you little faiths? Then he got up and rebuked the winds in the lake. And there was a great calm. And the people were amazed and said, who in the heck is this guy? Even the winds and the lakes obey him. Um, This story, who's on the boat with Jesus? Disciples. People who already know Jesus. It's not like the lepers and people who don't know who Jesus is. It's not just the outsiders who need saving, Matthew is saying. This miracle teaches that the, the disciples need saving too. So for us who know Jesus, this is you. You need saving as well. It's not just for your neighbors out there. Dale Bruner says this, the boat is the boat and represents the church. The rough sea and wind are the world in which the missionary church lives. And the fearful faith of even believers is one big point of the story. We have to have faith and sometimes it's fearful and Jesus can honor that somehow. The picture of Jesus asleep in the boat is so incredible jesus could have, of course made it so that there would be no storm as they crossed over he could have pre-planned that on his app maybe like hey dad no no storm right now um but he's showing us that that like as we go throughout our lives as you go throughout my, your lives my disciples you're gonna have to learn how to expect storms it's not just gonna be smooth sailing all the time in this story we see jesus as fully human as he sleeps in the boat and as fully god as he calms the storm jesus again as the god man and it's really interesting too that they don't come up to him and say, "Hey teacher, rabbi, save us." They say, "Lord, in disasters we need a Lord, not a teacher." Jesus again, and the other illustration here this speaking of the good news of grace that everything God gives us, we don't actually deserve. He's just out of the goodness and kindness of his own heart these things. Jesus helps us however we come to him even if we're screaming and terrified and afraid in the middle of the storm, even if we wake him up from his nap. So this is good news for us. We got to expect storms. We got to learn how to repent because things are going to come. And then let me just, a couple more thoughts, and then we'll, we'll kind of end with some, some thoughts about Jesus. Um, I was a bag boy, um, but the Southern kind, the kind that walked your groceries out after asking, paper or plastic, even though I shoved your bleach and Wonder Bread into the same bag after watching this weird 90s video that instructed me not to do that. I'm not good at packing groceries is the point I'm trying to make here. But I remember the interview for my job taking roughly 11 seconds. How old are you? 15. You're hired. (laughs) And all my dreams came true. I was an employee of Foodline. Anyone ever been to Foodline? Drive to the States? Terrible. It's like not even a nice grocery store. I was, however, disappointed I didn't get to answer these types of questions. You know, tell me about yourself, 15-year-old boy. How would you describe yourself? What makes you unique? What are your greatest strengths? And the greatest question in interviews ever, what are your greatest weaknesses? (laughs) This is the money question, you know, where you get to say, I I care too much. (laughs) I try too hard, you know. I care too much about my job. I put too much of my heart into things. Too loyal, yeah. Uh, Of course, this is all BS. This is self-serving and self-aggrandizing. But could you imagine if you answered that question at your dream job, not Food Lion. Honestly, I'm really selfish. I have an ongoing battle with lust. I'm a liar. I will never accept responsibility. I am really hard on the people I'm in charge of. I may steal. See, the world we live in doesn't work this way. Everything is up and to the right. Show your highlight reels. Weaknesses are detested. So we edit, we filter, we reframe, we round up, we add a zero when called for, we take a zero away when it's called for, we sanitize, we shove it under the couch, we minimize, we maximize, we do all this to try to present a better version of ourselves. And I don't know about you, it's exhausting. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus sees our actual weaknesses and he comes closer. He does something about it. He comes and he invites us to follow him into a life that is actually life. Hey man, this is not working for you. Let me show you a better way. He invites us to rethink our thinking. He comes and he frees us from the shame, the burdens, the hiding, the loneliness, the pressure. He comforts us and he consoles us, but he also challenges, up, challenges us. He calls us up and out into something better because we are saved for a purpose. And the point I'm trying to make here is that the very fact that the disciples chose to record these stories in the way that they did seems to point to the bigger story we've been learning about grace. They're like, hey guys, look, look how much we've failed. Like how many times we got it wrong, yet God came through. They're not hiding their failures, their weaknesses. They seem to actually be advertising them. All pointing towards this bigger story of God's undeserved and unmerited favor towards weak and broken human beings like you and I. Sinners and sufferers, real people, little faiths. You see, they are not the heroes of their own stories. Jesus is. So one of the greatest gifts in our discipleship journey are the people around you in this room. People who, like you, are struggling, who wish their faith was stronger, who are stuck, who sin, who dream, who need help. But what if we got really good at being honest with one another? Like, warts and all. Like, not just I care too much or I try too hard or I read all of Isaiah. I don't know how much you read. The point I'm trying to make is this. Let's not pretend that we here in this room are above the need for help. Let's learn to confess our sin, our lack of belief, our little faith to one another so that we can repent and believe again, so that we can learn together. That Jesus has come, that Jesus is risen, that Jesus will come again, that He loves us and is fighting for us in the midst of our confusion, our self centeredness, our fear and anxiety, our addiction, our half heartedness, our hastiness. He is there, never lowering the bar, but patiently leading us on to become who we already are in Christ. What if we got really good at being honest with one another? Also, what if we got really good at challenging each other with this? Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are forgiven. You are washed clean. You are God's child. You are included. You are hidden with Christ. Hey, man, you follow him. Growing in Christ, Dane Ortland says, is not centrally improving or adding or experiencing, but deepening. Implicit in the notion of deepening is that you already have what you need. Growth is bringing what you do and say and even feel into line with what, in fact, you already are. That's good. This morning, when I didn't share it during worship, but when we were taking communion, I was thinking, I felt like God was saying, I dare you to believe you're forgiven. I dare you to believe you're loved. And I want to say that to you I dare you guys to believe you're forgiven that you're loved, that you are included, that you are hidden with Christ, that he wants to lead you on. Confess your sins to one another. Dare one another to live as though you're forgiven. So whatever you, wherever you may find yourself this morning, whatever, wherever you may feel stuck, however you are, these stories are here to illustrate that Jesus helps us however we come to him. Little faith, afraid, hastily, The point is just to come, come to Jesus. He takes our weak faith, our self-centeredness, our love of comfort and our fears, and he meets them with grace. And this story underlines that Jesus's grace is still more important than our faith. His grace is stronger than our lack of faith. It's more important than our faith. Jesus's grace is the fuel to bring about the change and transformation you and I so deeply long for. His undying, unwavering, undeserved, radical love for us. His love that finds us where we are and takes us somewhere new. His transformative love. Dale Ortland, again, your growth in Christ will get no further, listen to this, than your settledness, way down deep in your heart, that God loves you. That he has pulled you into his own deepest heart. His affection for his own never wanes, never sours, never cools. That thing about you that makes you wince most only strengthens his delight in embracing you. At your point of deepest shame and regret, that's where Christ loves you the most. What kind of man is this? We must remember that Jesus is a person with whom we are invited to cultivate a real relationship of knowing and being known, of listening to, of being led. And as we move forward in this journey of discipleship, looking to Jesus, the real Jesus, is the key. As we are able to do this, as we are able to even see the face of Christ in one another, it melts the soul into both love and gratitude. Happy Thanksgiving. This is the key to any meaningful and lasting change. Looking to Jesus looking to the the, the creator of the universe, looking to the King of kings and the Lord of lords whose riches are unsearchable. So as I close, my prayer for us, maybe the worship team wants to come up, we're going to end with some singing. My prayer for you and I, for us, is that we would all encounter the real Jesus. The Jesus who challenges us in our self-centeredness and comforting, and sorry, in comfort-loving who sleeps on the boat in the midst of a storm only to calm it with the word. The Jesus who is calling us deeper, further up and further into his kingdom, who in the process has given us all that we need and then some. He is lavishly generous, sharing his inheritance, his relationship with his father, his anointing in the spirit with you and I, who is both gentle and lowly who fights for us, who loves us despite our ongoing neediness and brokenness, who is patient and can see the end from the beginning, who is faithful to complete what he has started in each of us, who knows that the six-hour drive is really going to take 12, but he's still here for it, warts and all, puke and all. So may, may may you settle down deep in your heart today that he loves you,